Hi everyone, this is Luca and today, as you might have seen from the posters, I'm going to interview Maria Jovczeska. The title of the interview kind of says it all, uh, from schools to NGOs. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Great Luca, thank you, very excited to be here with you. Oh, thank you. So, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Like I said, excited to be here and uh, to boost your ego a little bit. A little honored to be invited and interviewed by one such an individual as yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very also happy to share about my organization, to increase visibility a little. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Teach young people about new things. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so let's start from the very beginning. So who is Maria? What are your hobbies? Uh, what did you study? And yeah, who are you in general? I'm just a girl. <laughs> but um, okay, I'm Macedonian first and foremost. Need to promote my country. I come from North Macedonia, from the most beautiful town there. I'm very lucky to have been born in Ohrid. Uh, my hobbies include uh, taking long walks by the lake in summer, swimming, of course. Growing up in a very rich in history place and uh, one of the UNESCO heritage sites. I'm sounding like a tour ad a little, but I was really blessed to grow up there. So my hobbies include many, many, many hours outdoors. Um, singing to the detriment of my neighbors. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I love reading and um, the genres that interest me are thrillers and I love mythology, especially Greek mythology. Oh yeah. I love music. I love the written word, like I said. So words, words and music all the time. I like being outdoors and uh, in a way, that is probably how I came into my education. Because I love words so much, I decided to study foreign words. <laughs> and uh, I enrolled at the Faculty of Philology in the distant 2004. I graduated as a professor. <laughs> hey, don't make that face. <laughs> so I graduated as a professor of English language and literature in 2008. And uh, I was very, very lucky to get a job, according to the studies that I did, immediately upon graduation. Oh, that's good. And I spent uh, about 10, 10 and a half years at this job. So, wow. bring me to today. <laughs> well, I mean, but then you basically studied to become uh, an English teacher. You were one for, um, for quite a while. But now you decided to go into the NGO sector. Uh, why is that? I felt like I desperately needed a change. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love teaching. I love working with kids. It, it is a very rewarding job. But at the position that I had, I felt that there was no more challenge for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like I needed something more. So I thought about it for a, quite some time, actually, and I was not very certain in which direction to proceed. So an opportunity arose one day, one beautiful sunny day, and uh, 
Since then, I traversed, as you would call it, into the NGO sector. I, I first started working uh, translation work, mm -hmm. and then uh, one thing led to another. I had a few training courses, I had other translation work, then it was some lecturing work, and it all just transformed into a full-time job. Oh, it's good. It's good though. Like, but then, like one of one of the things that usually are done in um, in the NGO sectors is uh, is non-formal education, um, right? Can you confirm this, or am I making it up? <laughs> yes, I can confirm it. Of course. Okay. Yes. Um, the, and yes. you basically, basically you worked in both uh, formal and non-formal education. Like, which one would you um, would you prefer? Both, actually. Okay. For, no, seriously, because I have been at the both ends of the of the line. <clears throat> I would love to see a perfect balance, a perfect mixture of both formal and non-formal education in the classroom, because formal education, yes, it gives you the facts, etc., etc. It is very important for the development of an individual. However, non-formal education so much so many possibilities for a young child and young adults to develop in the ways in which they choose and uh, given the fact that non-formal education uses more of the hands-on approach individual yeah. research teamwork presentation it develops soft skills very very much I I believe that it should be incorporated even more in the in the actual classroom, in the formal classroom. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, like, because uh, now we are having some issues with the um, uh, with the teachings, actually, uh, both formal and non-formal, be because of COVID. Um, yeah. Did you have some, uh, like, did COVID? I, I mean, I think obviously COVID impacted your uh, your job, but like, yeah. in which ways uh, did it uh, did COVID impact your uh, your job? Well, uh, like I mentioned before, we are an NGO that uh, works in education. We strive for education of young people, non-formal education, and uh, our uh, projects, our mobility, were all postponed. So <clears throat> that is one of the areas in which it has affected us postponing of mobility because you cannot have international groups coming into the country due to all the restriction and yes and the quarantine etc etc uh, in addition um, let's talk money uh, if you don't work you don't get paid so that puts another strain however we've been lucky so we have an ongoing project that is very very fortunate for us and it is being implemented, but due to the restrictions that the pandemic has caused for each and every one of the countries involved, that is to say the world in general, uh, we had to, yes, we had to adapt our way of work. So instead of the initial planning, we had to change venue, for example. And instead of the original number, we had to decrease the number of participants. So in that way, it is the, biggest negative impact 
well, not maybe that negative, but something we need to learn from. Yeah, but what about online? Uh, like, couldn't you um, make your projects like online projects? Like, couldn't they go online or? Unfortunately, unfortunately, no, because this particular project is for youth from rural and um, cross-border areas. Yes, so, <laughs> yes, it, it is a little difficult. Not that we don't have internet in the villages <laughs> and in cross-border areas in Macedonia, we do. However, it is more difficult to implement everything. And you cannot really have a discussion with uh, 20, 30 people online. Because yeah, yeah. no matter what the means are, internet connections break, right? You have uh, people who cannot, who cannot, I'll say just who do not have really well developed digital skills. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, it was not really possible to do it online. No, I mean, the, the main issue is also like uh, the internet connection because it's not that good. The internet connection is very, um, is very slow again because everyone is basically online. So um, it, it yes. gets kind of hard to, um, to work. Uh, online like efficiently especially with the like also with this one also with the Instagram lives uh, because they, they use a lot of um, of uh, data a lot of connection uh, but also again even if you do a Skype call with uh, 20 people it's uh, it's too complicated yes but also if if we talk internet connections now we've kind of got into the topic in rural areas especially if the weather is um, Poor, if we have bad weather conditions, then the internet connection is very unstable and you lose it. So you can actually plan for your project, which should last for a whole workday, actually in our case, two workdays, and then somebody may be cut off. So no, we have to do it in person. Uh, minding all minding all precautions and having all necessary protection and disinfectants, masks, the works. <laughs> Large space. <laughs> Large working space. Yeah, I mean, now it's uh, it's kind of mandatory as well uh, right now. Uh, but so you said your organization is, um, is about education, right? Can you talk a, bit, a little bit more about your organization? Well, the Association of Hazelnut Producers, Eco Hazelnut, Village Trislaita, Struga. It's a long name, it's a mouthful, I realize that. So we'll keep it short to Eco Hazelnut. Uh, was established initially to help empower young people from rural and cross-border areas in, Struga, in the Struga vicinity. So Struga is in the southwest of North Macedonia. And uh, in that area, the villages comprise nearly half of the population of the whole um, municipality, let's say. Mm -hmm. So it's the town of Struga, which is not very big, and the surrounding villages. And uh, Struga is actually very close to the border with Albania. So okay. that is why we are talking rural and cross-border areas. So what the main point of the organization was to support young people, especially young farmers, 
to provide opportunities for them to further develop, to empower them. And how will they develop further on? Through education. So we organize learning mobility for those people. We have uh, workshops, we have seminars, we have ongoing projects to support them. We mainly use uh, national programs and we also, we mainly use, we mainly apply for national programs. And uh, we have also ventured into Erasmus and we will further develop. And, uh, but North Macedonia is not, let's, uh, let's just say this part, like North Macedonia is not part of the EU. Um, how do you apply? Be aware of this. Uh, we are a program country because okay. we are very persistent and we, we try really hard. <laughs> we really, really try. So we are, you know, a program country, so we are free to apply for funding. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I just wanted to clear uh, this part as you are, um, you're not a, a EU member state. So uh, how could uh, your country uh, apply to EU funds? Um, well, yeah. Just but, like Serbia and Iceland and other countries which are not part of the EU can apply. We have been lucky enough to be in the program. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you talked a little bit about the uh, projects that you were working on. Can you just go into detail uh, if you want to share uh, some of them? Because you talked about one specifically, but what about the others that were um, there are now like uh, in pause for the for the situation being? Well, there are always calls and there are many ideas. So we constantly work on some idea. We have been lucky enough to have some of the ideas approved for granting, so we were able to develop and develop at the process. And uh, others need to be reworked and adapted and uh, be made into more realistic, achievable projects, which we will work on, of course. Now, the project that I mentioned is uh, founded, is co-funded by Civica Mobilitas, it's uh yes it's a program for our country okay of the swiss um, embassy and norway and you know a whole bunch of countries and uh yes it is about promoting uh, active citizenship among young people from the rural and cross-border areas of course so basically what we are trying to do is travel across the whole country and have uh, training for young people from these areas that I mentioned previously. Uh, it will be in the duration of four months. So we visit each of each and every one of the eight regions in the country. And um, we gather young people, we raise awareness about their role and what they should actually do in order to realize their potential, in order to, let's say, work with the state in a way to solve common issues, common problems for all of them. For example, some area needs schooling, some area needs better infrastructure, other areas need water or plumbing or whatever. So what we do is we, 
define the issues. We identify the most persistent needs with the, of course, um, with the population of that area. And we develop them into ideas, which they will work on furthermore. And uh, they will develop in their um, own community. And with our help, they, they will apply to the state to get those problems resolved. That is I, the main I, It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, what, what made the people who established Ecolishnik, Macedonian term, or Eco Hazelnut, the short version okay. of the English. Yeah, is that we have many young people in rural and cross-border areas, and they are of very varied origins. We have many different ethnic groups there. We have different religions. We have a country minimized, in a way. A micro-country is mm -hmm. persistent in that area. Shared culture throughout the ages, shared history, but still a great huge gap between us. And the young people there, they are normally unaware of the possibilities that they have in our own country. So they decide to, I will not use the term flee, but relocate or move away completely of the country. And that particular area, not because I'm from there, but that particular area is abundant in amazingly smart young people. So what we need to do is empower them, show them all the opportunities that exist in Macedonia so they can stay on further and develop not only their local community, but through their local community, our entire country. Oh, it's, it's really good. It's really, uh, it is just, it, it is empowering also like listening to um to this uh let's say presentation of your project it um the organization and the project are very idealistic in a way but you you have got to have ideals in order to make a change if you don't believe in yeah. if you don't believe what you preach nobody else will believe it and i honestly believe that we can get these young people to become more active more empowered to connect among each other and you know participate change the world yeah definitely <laughs> no, um, let's uh, let's talk about some uh, not projects but events that just um are just over now uh which are the erasmus days um uh you said that you used some new funds you apply for your funds did you participate in the erasmus days or uh did you not um not as organization because we are very busy with our current engagements, but I was, me personally, was part of Erasmus Days. I had a similar interview answering questions of uh, young people who are interested to know more about Erasmus and how they can be part of it. It oh. was it was the first time and it was fun, <laughs> really fun. <laughs> Uh, and uh, why didn't you do anything with your organization then? Like, uh, I know you're you're busy, but like, no one really had any time to 
to organize a small event? I mean, we, we take every opportunity that we have to do something, but this time it was, it was uh, unfeasible. So there, we, we have a saying, if you're going to do something, do it right. So if you cannot do it right, don't even start it. <laughs> so okay. we really, we really try to do our best uh, at everything that we do. And uh, unless you can give 100% of yourself or the organization, then just just don't start it and leave it halfway or half done. Okay, yeah, 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 it makes sense. <laughs> Uh, but that can that can be a problem to have motivated people um, in uh, in your organization. What do you think are the uh, biggest challenges uh, for an uh, for an NGO? Wow, challenges in NGOs. Where do I start, Luca? Um, working for an NGO or NGO work is multifaceted, challenge-wise. So. I will list some of the challenges and I will uh, maybe put emphasis on what is most challenging to me. So let's start from the very beginning, <laughs> from the planning of your ideas and trying to turn them into project applications. Will they, yes, will they be measurable? Will they make the desired impact? Will they make a change? Will you manage to do them? Uh, then there's communication with partners. You go through a sometimes painstaking process of finding the suitable partners. We have a network of partners, but not everybody fits a certain application. Or maybe sometimes we don't have even one organization that fits you know, the necessity of the project. So you look and you may find them, you may not find them. You may agree on something. They may, you know, take a step back. They may <laughs> decide to, you know, cancel at the last moment, or you will have a great ongoing communication. And in the end, it will come to the, you will come to the realization that it was miscommunication, that they understood you all wrong. So another challenge would be, uh, the implementation itself, uh, the implementation with regards to will, ya, will I find the right kind of participants for my project? Yeah. Will, I, will I find the experts that I need? How much will the experts cost me? <laughs> because this is social work, right? Yeah. And um, yes, many, 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 many challenges. But to me personally, the biggest challenge would be um, Meeting the deadline. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Meeting meeting project deadlines, especially if you have uh, one or two open calls and you are trying to do projects for all of them and they're all, and they are overlapping or very close to one another. Yes, that that can be very tricky, but we try. <laughs> we give our best. So basically, it's uh, the projects that are the biggest challenge in general. Like just uh, the um, the projects themselves are the challenge uh, according to you in, uh, in an NGO. I'd say everything that is uh, connected with the creation and implementation and the impact. So yes, definitely everything. <laughs>
However, don't get me wrong, I may have painted a very obscure painting, an image of um, how challenging working for an NGO can be, but it is also very rewarding. The, the moment when you have your project approved, that's one milestone. When you implement your project, another milestone. And when you see the actual impact that you desired, that you planned all along, and when you can see the actual change happening, that is, it is worth everything. It is worth absolutely all the sleepless nights and stress. <laughs> the, only, the only way I can compare it is when a mother says, yeah, nine months of pregnancy are difficult. <laughs> yeah, going into labor is, you know, excruciating. However, when you see your baby's face, it's worth everything. So it's like that. Okay. With projects. <laughs> it's like that when you see them completed and making the impact that you that you coveted all along. <laughs> it was a it was a really interesting uh, analogy, but yeah. Uh, but do you, like um, uh, the title of our uh, interview is from schools to uh, to NGO. Um, and again, I'm going to repeat this, but you were a teacher, uh, you studied to become a teacher, uh, mm -hmm. you did it, and now you work in an NGO, basically changing like your uh, life plans, let's say. And do you plan on um, changing again? Do you plan on um, doing something else in the, in the future? Um, I have stopped making plans <laughs> some time ago because they never really worked out the way I wanted to. However, um, I, I have to say this because my current work is not all that different from my previous work. I still work with young people, not in the classroom, of course. Uh, I still work uh, with writing and I taught writing to the high school students. So <laughs> it's not all that different. However, um, I would love to further develop myself, professionally speaking, mm -hmm. as a human being, of course, to become nicer, to become more impactful, more influential, not on Instagram. <laughs> I would love to, I think if I'm to continue this work, I really need to become a certified trainer because What's, what's that? A certified trainer is to be a trainer that can, you know, do training, youth exchanges, everything, but has official certificates. For example, I would like to become a SALTO. SALTO Youth Certified Trainer. I believe that would be the next step. Okay. And how can you, can I ask you how can you do that? How can you become a certified trainer? That I need to research myself too. <laughs> I I need to go I need to go more deeply. But uh, there are courses, and uh, I believe there are exams I need to take. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to uh, spread this information because I haven't researched this enough, and okay. I cannot speak <laughs> very very knowledgeably on this. But yes, I would really like to develop myself even further because training teaching are very very similar if not if not the same thing if not the same thing 
Well, yeah, they're, they're the, like, uh, let's say the, the different aspects of the, the same thing, because you need to uh, fill some gaps. And uh, yeah, like with the training, uh, with the with teaching, you're kind of doing the, like those, the result is similar, let's say, let's at least say that. Yeah, not, not completely the same, but two sides <laughs> of the same coin, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would you recommend then people to work in the NGO sector? Do you think it's uh, it's worth it? Definitely. Uh, when it comes to young people and NGO, I believe that we need as many more actively engaged and uh, young people who would take on social work. Why? Because for one thing, they will learn so many things that they wouldn't normally learn. Let's talk um, tolerance. Let's talk multiculturalism or interculturalism. Let's talk different, uh, different points of view because we are all stuck in our own bias and the cultural iceberg that surrounds us given our education, given our family, given the place where we live. So when you come to meet many other young people from different corners of the earth, you see things from their own point of view and you become more understanding, more tolerant. And then there, there's this set of soft skills that you develop through non-formal work, through non-formal learning. So a set of skills that are crucial in today's employment market However, not taught at school. Actually, not only that soft skills are not taught in a formal school environment, I feel or have felt in the past that they are repressed in a way. Yeah, yeah. I also uh, believe that's, that can be true in, uh, in some cases, so, yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, our education, I'm talking about the Macedonian, of course, education system, needs a lot of work. Unfortunately, it is still it is still experimental in a way. We are stuck between old influences and adopting new influences without seeing what works for our children. And the analogy that I make here for the Macedonian education system and that I have made ever since I graduated is that you are in the classroom and the teacher tells you how to swim. So the teacher will say, you flap your arms and your legs and they will show you the movements. You do this, you do that. And then when you uh, finish school and go into the employment you know, market and they employ you and you become a teacher all of a sudden, it's like, going to the pool and somebody pushes you into the pool and say okay use your knowledge without any practice before that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, so that, that, that's that kinda, that, i can say it's similar uh, in italy i'm sorry for interrupting you but that's uh, that's very similar uh, in italy as well because you have a lot of um a lot of theoretical uh concepts but then you don't really have a lot of uh practice and it's very few professors that try to combine the two things 
but sometimes yeah they're also like very unsure and insecure of what they're doing because uh, unsure because they don't know if they're doing the right thing to like you know to distance a little bit from the theory and uh insecure because they don't know if you know if any one of us would have told another professor maybe he would have uh, been apprehended or i don't know uh, something would have uh, told to them not to do or something like that. Like, um, so yeah, it's a, it's it's a complicated issue, but I can say that that's a similar thing, uh, to similar situation in Italy as well. So that's a very important. Education needs to come a step forward, and we need to we need to change things, yeah. and we need to let uh, children develop in every way possible, of course, but to also encourage them. And unfortunately, to this moment, we have been limiting them in a way. Yeah. And that's my um, Now, uh, talking about, let's uh, not talk about children, let's talk about young adults. Um, this is a question that I usually so, ask. Um, <laughs> Professional deformity for me. <laughs> to me, they're all kids. Yes, young adults. <laughs> uh, but this is a question I always ask to organizations. Uh, are you looking for interns? Do you accept interns? Yes, 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 of course. Um, we welcome all young people who, who would like to be part of our organization. First, as participants. Then, if they feel they could contribute with something, knowledge, skills, anything that could help the organization and the activities that we do and um, of course interns as well and uh, what happened in the past and how they got me i started doing some you know volunteer translations a little help here a little help there for this particular organization of course um a little help here a little help there then my teaching experience, oh, I can work with <clears throat> young adults. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I would help them here and there. So I showed interest and asked me to stay on. So it would be the same with the, <clears throat> sorry. It would be the same with the uh, young people, young adults who would like to be part of the organization. That would be the, the process. So we are open to anyone. They, they can just contact us and um, we'll take it from there. Okay, girl, you're, uh, we're going to leave the, uh, the name of your organization uh, yes. in, the, in the context. We have, a, we have a Facebook page it's called Ecolation Macedonian Hazelnut. <laughs> um yeah i uh, i think we covered uh all the topics we wanted to um to talk about so thank you very much for for being here thank you very much for accepting our interview um last question do you have anything you want to promote i would like to promote my organization you know increasing visibility <laughs> association of hazelnut producers eco hazelnut village draslaita macedonia and yes, I would like to, I would like to promote human values among everybody, equality among us, first and foremost. And um, yes, sustainable development, definitely. And uh, I failed to mention this, but our organization especially supports organic production, mm -hmm. so organic farming. And it is, in a way, our contribution to fighting climate change. 
and ensuring biodiversity. Yes, I should have mentioned this sooner. However, <laughs> yes, <laughs> those, those, are, those are the main things that we as an organization promote and that I personally believe in. I believe in the power of young people because the world belongs to young people. You can make a change. So people, listen up, make a change. Be active, inform yourselves, learn the right channels, and actually do something. Thank you for having me, Luca. I'm sure we'll see each other. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, make sure you follow us, you rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week.